Well, this has been a beautiful evening, hasn't it? Beautiful music, powerful lyrics, heartfelt singing, all the things that we would uh, desire and enjoy experiencing on Christmas Eve. Tonight, as we gather and celebrate and anticipate the culmination of this season tomorrow, we also have to recognize that there are wars all around us and maybe even in us. There are wars all over the world. There are wars in conflicts, in, uh, excuse me, in communities, workplaces, between individuals and families, and even within churches. War is all around. And yet, one of the universal themes of Christmas is peace. The phrase, peace on earth, is read and said and sung millions of times around the world, even as as it has been tonight at this season of the year. And yet, peace is one of those things that seems impossible to achieve to the cynic. It might even seem laughable that the phrase exists. But it does exist, and it's found in the Bible. And, And where we find it in the Bible is on the lips of the angels who proclaimed the birth of Christ. The Messiah. In the few moments we have tonight, I want to take some time to remember what kind of peace Jesus was born to bring. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2, or you can just listen as we work through this message. Luke begins his gospel detailing how God prepared the way for the Messiah by uh, engaging in a series of supernatural events. Angelic messengers, the miraculous birth of John, the prophetic exaltations of of Mary and Zechariah. All these these things make Luke chapter 1 a dense chapter of Scripture anticipating the birth of the new king. The buildup of chapter 1 really reaches its apex in the beginning of chapter 2 where the birth of Jesus takes place in Bethlehem. The glorious trumpet calls as chapter 1 sounds culminates in that quiet, silent night in Bethlehem. But then, in verses 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2, we read something that is familiar to us now, but to those who were engaged in this, these events in history was utterly strange. Here's what it says, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. In the same region... There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. 
When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. All of, the, all of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 are moving history forward as we begin the account of the life of Jesus. But, but here, in, starting in verse 8, the entire narrative stops. And Luke slows down the narrative. It's kind of like pressing the slow button on the VCR, if you remember that. <laughs> Luke, inspired by the Spirit, slows down the narrative to tell us about a supernatural event that happened the same night that Jesus was born. And verse 8 sets up that scene. As I read, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds are in the same region of Bethlehem, and region, even though to us is maybe a large geographic area, there, this word has the implication of proximity. So they're probably within one or two miles of Bethlehem, which itself is about six miles south of Jerusalem. And later rabbinic sources tell us that it's in that region of Bethlehem where the, the sheep and the lambs and the animals that were headed to the temple to be sacrificed were raised by shepherds. And so it's very likely that these are the shepherds who were raising and caring for the lambs headed for sacrifice. Shepherding was an important work, but it was not considered a noble work at the time. A shepherd was constantly in the field. They had to go from place to place with their sheep, leading them to new fields so that they would have enough food. This means they weren't able to keep the Sabbath, at least as the Pharisees defined it. They were gone from homes for days or weeks at a time. They actually had no social standing and were even prevented from testifying in court. They were so looked down upon. In fact, if you were planning God's PR strategy for how to spread the news of the birth of his son, you would not choose shepherds. Now imagine the scene in your mind. It's night, it's very dark, and it's very quiet. There's probably a fire that these shepherds are gathered around to keep themselves warm. The, the sheep are laying all around them, sleeping the only sounds, perhaps, are the, the crackling of the fire in their hushed voices as they convert, conversed with one another. And then verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. This pitch black night was suddenly lit up, brighter than the football field on Super Bowl Sunday. That alone would terrify anyone to have those lights turned on so brightly. But add to that a glorious and powerful being like an angel. It says they were frightened literally with mega fear. They were scared out of their skin. So the angel, as they often have to do, tries to bring a measure of comfort to these shepherds. And so he says, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Now, of course, it's, it's impossible for us to imagine what the shepherds thought they were going to hear, but they certainly didn't think it was about to be good news. But it was good news. And not just for them, but as the angel said, for all the people, referring to 
the nation of Israel. We often shorten it to all, all people, and that's theologically true, but the angels are saying that at this particular time, this particular news is a good news of great joy for all the people, for all the nation of Israel. What kind of good news would be such good news that it would bring joy to the nation of Israel? Here's what it says. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, for several hundred years, Israel had been waiting for their Messiah. They've waited for that deliverer who would come and fulfill all of God's promises. In centuries past, prophets had proclaimed, the Messiah will come. The next prophet would come and say, the Messiah will come. Another prophet would come and say, the, the, the Messiah will come. And now here's an angel. And he's not saying the Messiah will come. He's saying the Messiah has come. And not just the Messiah is here, but the Messiah's here, like a mile or two away. <laughs> what joy, what exaltation. These shepherds would have felt their, their frowns of fear would have turned into beams of delight. But before they could even respond they were shocked with something that has never been seen on earth. It says in verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is, this is literally a heavenly army numbering in the thousands. And instead of declaring war, they're declaring praise to God. They praise God for his unfolding plan of redemption. And then their lyric turns its attention to earth. And they proclaim what this child will bring to those on earth. Angels could have highlighted all kinds of things. They could have said, on earth, peace. Or excuse me, <laughs> on earth, love. On earth, joy. On earth, redemption. On earth, Freedom. There's all kinds of things they could have highlighted, but instead they said and decided to focus on on earth peace. The coming, the birth of God's Son results in peace. Peace for whom? Peace for everyone? Peace for the nations? Peace for families? Peace for governments? No, the angel said, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. In other words, this peace only extends to a, a limited group. Only certain people receive this peace that the Messiah brings. And in fact, only God can, God decides who to give his peace to. Think back to those sacrificial lambs scattered around the shepherds. Among other offerings, they were used for peace offerings and sin offerings. You see, in addition to all the wars we're aware of here on earth, there is one war that transcends all boundaries and governments and families and relationships. There is a war between God and the people he created. As creator and king, God has the sovereign right to impose his will on, on those whom he has created. But Adam and Eve thought that they would be the captain of their own soul, and ever since that day, Every person born 
has been at war with God. Humanity is in a constant state of rebellion against God, the maker and sustainer of the universe. In fact, the one who gives them life. This is far worse than biting the hands that feed you. This is destroying or rebelling against the God that keeps you alive. And in spite of the fact that every human deserves death, the instant that it sins, that he or she sins the first time, God himself is patient and gracious. In the Old Testament, he allowed his people to sacrifice animals as a temporary substitute, as a reminder to them of their guilt and his grace. Day after day, month after month, year after year, lambs were sacrificed by the people in an attempt to appease the just wrath of God. Blood was required to pay for sin, and God in his mercy allowed for centuries that these lambs and other animals would take the place. But they didn't ultimately forgive sin, it was just a temporary substitute. God promised that one day, one would come and would solve this sin problem. And bring everlasting peace between God and man. We find that in Isaiah 53. Really the whole chapter. But specifically in verse 5 it says. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Did you hear that? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Isaiah says one day there will be peace between God and man, but it will come at the cost of a suffering servant. There will be a final lamb that will take away our sin, and then we will have peace with God. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, John the baptizer said of him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And after his work on earth was done, and Jesus had ascended into heaven, Paul wrote in the New Testament, and because we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we don't sacrifice. That's why we don't come to church each Sunday bringing an animal with us that we don't plan to take home. The angels foretold this when they said, on earth, peace. This wasn't about our relationships or government or anything on earth at all. They meant men and women will now have peace with God. This is beyond good news. This is the greatest news of all. No wonder they said it would be a news of great joy for all the people. The endless flow of blood that had held back the just wrath of God would soon be stopped And the greatest war in the universe would be over. And so it's with great excitement that once these angels were out of their sight, the shepherds didn't hesitate to respond to their message. They were compelled to respond to this marvelous news by going to see if what these angels had said was true. And so it says in verses 15 and 16, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that had happened which the Lord had made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Keep in mind that the angels didn't say where to find Jesus other than that he was in Bethlehem. 
Now, Bethlehem was a small town of a, perhaps less than a thousand people, but this was the time of the census, so it was swollen with many more people. Did the shepherds go door to door? Is there a baby here? Is there a baby here? Or did they just run through the streets saying, where's the baby? Where's the baby? We don't know. We don't know. But they made their diligent search and haste and finally found the baby. They found their Savior. After they all wrestled through the entrance of that place, they probably stood around the, the baby with hushed voices, shushing each other so as not to disturb the baby. No doubt Mary and Joseph were perplexed, but somehow comfortable with these unexpected guests. I imagine there would have been a, a period of silence as they were in awe of this child. First of all, in awe that what the angels said was true, not, not that they expected it otherwise, but just amazed. They had to be amazed that the Savior was born in such conditions. Perhaps they were surprised to see a young teenage girl as the baby's mother. But they couldn't keep quiet for long. Verse 17 says, When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. They told of the angel that appeared to them in frightening display of glory. They probably said word for word what this angel had told them. They probably tried to describe what that multitude of angels looked like and sounded like. Then it says in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. Those who heard it wondered or marveled at what the shepherds said. Who, who were these people who wondered? Well, these are probably the people who helped Mary with the birth. We typically think of Joseph and Mary alone with the child. And we think that way because there was no room for the inn. And we don't, apart from this statement, we don't know of or we don't hear of other people being there. But this is a small town of Joseph's ancestry. There were social obligations. Mary would need cloths and water. And the baby would need to be rubbed with soil or... Uh, <laughs> oil and salt. You see how that happened. To prevent infection. That's, that's what they did back then. And so even if there wasn't room in the inn, there would have been people helping her. At least several women, if, if not others, who had crowded around once the baby was born. But of course, as far as they knew, this was just another baby. They probably just thought this is a case of bad timing to have a baby born on such a night as this. Joseph and Mary probably didn't have time to tell them of their own angelic experience and probably wouldn't have even if they did have time. These helpers listened and they were in awe. They didn't realize prophecy was being fulfilled before their eyes. And so they marveled. They were astonished. But it was different for Mary, of course, she didn't just marvel at what these shepherds said. She treasured it. She pondered it. The, she the words the shepherds said permeated Mary's soul. Remember, it had been over nine months since Mary had spoken with the angel Gabriel. These nine months in between were filled, no doubt, with shame and mocking and ridicule. It had been a difficult nine months. 
But now hearing who this child was from the shepherds who spoke of an angelic appearance gave her comfort and strength and caused all of the pain and the difficulty away, caused it to go away. So the shepherd's words lodged in her heart. She, she pondered them, which means she considered them. She compared them with her own experience. Her, her thoughts engaged with the shepherd's words, and they would never leave her. And as Pastor Leek said on Sunday, it's probably from Mary's account that Luke wrote this history. Well, I'm sure it would have been painfully difficult, but the shepherds had to get back to their sheep. They had a, a job to do. So they had to leave, but if they were going to leave, they weren't going to leave quietly. And so Luke writes in verse 20, The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds' response was the same as the heavenly host. No doubt they repeated that angelic chorus, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Well, what about you? How do you respond to the Savior's birth? Do you marvel? Do you treasure up these words, the words that we see here in Scripture, the the words that we've sung tonight? Do you ponder them and treasure them in your heart? Maybe all you do is marvel. You glory in the beauty, but it has no lasting impact on you. This little baby grew up. Jesus lived a life in perfect obedience to the law of God. He was the only human who never sinned. And he proved that he was the son of God by doing only the kinds of things that God himself can do. Things like healing every kind of physical malady. He controlled the weather. He raised the dead. He accepted and received worship. But the people rejected him and killed him on the cross. But he was no victim. He purposefully gave his life, enduring God's punishment for sinners, and then rose from the dead on the third day, having conquered sin and death. And while we sit here tonight celebrating his birth, Jesus stands in heaven, commanding all people everywhere to repent to turn from their sin and rebellion against him and to believe in who he is and what he did. Not just that he was born, but that he lived the perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, that he rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven. Christ came to make peace between you and God. Are you at peace with God? Have you turned from your hostility or your apathy, or your false worship, and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you can do that today. Even tonight, you can turn your heart to the Lord and worship Him in all of His glory and celebrate Christmas tomorrow for the first time as one who has been saved, whose sin has been taken away by the Lamb of God. For those of us who have been saved, whose sins have been forgiven, in the midst of our traditions and celebrations, may we give glory to God in the highest and celebrate the peace that we have with God. Let's pray.
our great God and Heavenly Father. What joy we have as we sing, as we hear these beautiful songs, as we listen to what your word tells us about this baby boy. God born into this world to take away our sin. May no one leave here today still at war with you, but may you make peace with them by opening their eyes and giving them new life, adopting them into your family. Be with us as we celebrate this holiday. Let us not celebrate it lightly. Let us glory in your plan of redemption. In Christ's name, amen.